You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Megdahl, reminding you, you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB, like us on Facebook, or go ahead and rate and review us uh, using iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. Uh, today, I am joined by General Manager of the San Antonio Stars, Ruth Riley. Uh, Ruth, before we get started, just had a quick question for you. I'm working on a crossword puzzle. Uh, the clue is the first pick in the 2017 WNBA draft. I'm hoping you just tell me what that is, uh, and then I can complete the crossword puzzle and we can get on with the interview. Well, how many spaces are available? Um, let's say four. <laughs> Um, I can I can help you with that answer. Let's say on April thirteenth. Okay, fair enough. I'll put it aside. We'll uh, we'll wait and see. Um, you know, I'm happy to be patient uh, with the crossword puzzle. Well, I, it's really great to talk to you. And I'm curious, first and foremost, about just what your overall process has been as you identify talent. I mean, look, you, you guys are going to set the draft in a fundamental way, not just at one, but at five also. So how have you gone about that evaluation here? Well, it's a lot of watching game foam. Um you know, uh, recorded games, traveling live, obviously getting a preliminary list of seniors. And this year's draft is, has been interesting because of, you know, the high number of transfers that could have potentially declared mm-hmm. uh, for the draft. And so unusual to have that many um, for us. And so I think it just added a different dimension to our preparation. Kind of feels like that's the status of where the game is now and where it's going with so many transfers happening that these questions are going to loom even larger. Do you think that longer term, just for the lead, there needs to be perhaps a little bit more of a time window, not just for the players to be able to make those decisions, but uh, to allow for better evaluation on the team side as well? Well, I think the timing of our league coming right after obviously the women, the final four um, doesn't really allow for that. And so you you don't want players to be thinking about or having to declare while they're competing for their collegiate team. And so I think by design it's after their eligibility is over or their season is over, but that leaves us a very small window before our draft and our season starts. So what do you do? Do you just create a set of alternative rankings and just the idea that you can pull someone out of it or pop someone in based on the decision that she makes? Yeah, just a, a list, uh, a working list of players and, um, you know, evaluating them throughout the year. Um, and once the decision is made by each player, then we can solidify that a little bit more. That makes sense. In terms of the players themselves, when you're evaluating, and you talked about it's a combination of game film and in-person, how much more can you get, just with a scouting eye, out of seeing a player yourself in person than seeing that player on film? There's a premium to being in the gym and watching how a player warms up, how they prepare, how they interact with their teammates, how they handle bad calls. The reality is when you're watching uh, a recorded game, you, you're at the mercy of the camera. And so you can't get a holistic picture. But when you're actually in a gym, you're able to, to track players for the whole game. It's really interesting. How many times do you think 
in person you ended up seeing the players who are on that short list, the players who are ultimately right at the top of what you're looking to draft at one and five? Fortunately, a lot of players were in the same conferences, and so that was incredibly helpful. Um, caught a couple of the key matchups. ESPN does a good job of, of having some of the top matchups throughout the year. Mm-hmm. But then SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, or, yeah, Pac-12, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> the yes. conferences have changed so much over time, <laughs> it's hard to keep them straight. Uh, but there are uh, a lot of these players in the same conference. And, and then what we found in Kentucky for the regionals, uh, there were a lot in Lexington and Louisville, and so that was helpful as well. Right, that worked out very nicely. Yes, there's, there's a player in the Pac-12 who I feel like has been in the conversation for number one overall. Um, may, maybe you could tell me uh, just this, and maybe this would be helpful. Is your number one overall pick going to rhyme with Schmelsey Blum? Is that, would that be accurate? Would that be fair to say? <laughs> Uh, I, I can't tell you that, but okay. what I can tell you is that Kelsey Plum has had an incredible year. And oh, Kelsey Plum, yes, that's re- who it must be. Yeah. <laughs> she has rewritten the history books in collegiate women's basketball, and it's not—it's impressive not just by the numbers, but how she's done it. Her yeah, no. character, her leadership, her work ethic, all things that you would want uh, a true champion and and an all-star to exhibit, and she embodies all of that. Well, and without committing to Plum directly, I do wonder, when you look at this overall roster, do you see a fit or a potential fit for a three-guard attack? You know, when you think in terms of uh, Mariah, you know, in terms of Kayla uh, McBride, do you think that a three-guard offense is something, uh, A, uh, to shoot for and be as a potential mismatch nightmare, quite frankly, for much of the rest of the league. Yeah, it, it, well, we have a new coach this year, uh, Vicki Johnson, and it's going to be exciting to see the, the system that she puts in place. I think you know, utilizing players' skill sets um, to to maximize potential is, is going to be important. Um, Kelsey Plum is a prolific scorer, and uh, you know, you can you can plug in players like that in in various ways, whether it's her ability to knock down the three or create off the pick and roll. And so, those are definitely things that we consider as we're evaluating her. Going to be fascinating to see her game at the next level. I totally agree with you. There's a player you have uh, already, though, who's very interesting to me, and I'm sure to you as well. And that's Kayla Alexander. When you Look at the development she had, particularly offensively. She went from uh, 41.6% from the field to 54.6, just a huge jump in efficiency. Do you see her as the center going forward? And you know, I know you signed Erica, but is Kayla the future of the five at this position when you think about uh, the roster at this point? We are really excited to have Kayla Alexander back here in San Antonio. She was our our only restricted free agent that you know we had on our roster, and so the ability to keep her, we think she embodies everything that we we try to to build here. Whether it's culture and her work ethic, and she's just a great addition. And she has, as you alluded to, improved every year. A lot of that is 
working with our coaches and development, a lot of that's her hard work and commitment to, to raising her potential. And I think there's a great opportunity for her to continue to improve and, and contribute in, in more significant ways. It was really interesting to me when I went back and compared her age 24 season in terms of uh, efficiency from the field, even in terms of production, was really similar to yours. Do you see her potential ceiling as the center on a championship team? How would you define it, if not like that? Yeah, I think we have different skill sets. My fourth year in, I'm in Detroit playing a lot more face-up to the basket, Mm -hmm. pick and pop, distributor. I I think that Kayla hasn't reached her her ceiling yet and what she's able to do. She has become very consistent. She takes a step, improves her game, improves her skill set, and then becomes really consistent at that and then adds a new dimension. And so we're excited to see, you know, the next level of Kayla Alexander this season and and what she's going to be able to, to contribute to the Stars. And you actually stole my next question. I'm curious whether you thought she was going to be adding the face-up game, whether you see that as the next part of her evolution. Yeah, I think she has a really consistent set shot, and whether it's a, a turnaround jumper, uh, I think expanding her range for any post player is, is really important at this stage. It just adds um, spacing and and improves your offensive efficiency. And so any, any po- every post should hopefully add that dimension to their game. It's been wonderful to see. It feels like that's the future of the game uh, as well, which I think will make a huge difference in spacing and in terms of overall offensive flow uh, throughout. Uh, the, the the player who obviously needs no addition uh, to her offensive versatility is Kayla McBride. And I wonder what you see from her. First of all, you know, is she 100% at this point? And second of all, you know, there was a bit of a dip in her three-point percentage last year. Do you see that as just a function of her health, and what are your expectations for her coming in? Michaela is looking really good right now. She is healthy. She took a lot of time off after the season to make sure her foot was fully healed, and she's over in Turkey playing really well. Excited to be back. Obviously, one of those players that um, being injured and not able to, to help her teammates on the court is real challenge for her so her excitement to to get back to playing the game of basketball but I think also to build something here in in San Antonio she is a one of the corner pieces to what we're trying to to do here and I think she embraces that role between Kayla and Mariah Jefferson whose rookie year in a lot of ways I felt went under the radar uh, certainly, to a certain extent, uh, compared to her former Connecticut teammate, Brianna Stewart, but had one of the great rookie years of any point guard in recent years. What is the measurable success from that pairing when you think about it in year two? Well, um, Mariah Jefferson is special. Uh, her ability to adjust to the, the pro game so quickly, and she is one of the fastest guards in our league, incredibly high basketball IQ, just becomes even more efficient as she learns where spots are on the floor, how the pro game is different than the collegiate game, and she's coming from a really solid foundation, obviously, at Connecticut, and 
I think she's going to be one of the best point guards in our league for a long time. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously a good program, not a Taylor McBride level college program, you would probably say, but certainly, you know, a, a good program at UConn uh, as well. <laughs> uh, and, yes, I am partial to my Irish. I, I would imagine so. Uh, and there's another signing that you made uh, this offseason that I think did not get the same level of attention, and, and that's a dude Boldak. And getting someone who, quite frankly, is effectively another first-round pick, uh, was was a first-round pick from New York. Where do you see her fitting in to what you're trying to do this year? Well, Adu is a, a versatile big, and her ability to, to shoot the basketball uh, is something, as I said, it's just skill set that a lot of teams are looking for, and She's another young player that will continue to develop and get better, and we're excited to have the opportunity to to have her join us down here in San Antonio. So, in terms of your goals coming out of April 13th, if you had to define it, what what do you want the roster to have added uh, by the time pitch one and five are made? And related to that, are you still in conversation about potential trades of either of those picks at this point? I think trade conversations are a part of draft. Uh, whether you have a number one pick or anywhere else along the line, mm-hmm. the, the reality is that everyone's trying to solidify their roster. Some teams are trying to move up. Some teams feel good about this year and might be making a play for the future. And so that's that just kind of goes with um, the territory when it comes to draft, and when coming out of draft, I would say, you know, we we have a really young team for the most part. Adding two uh, draft picks to that core that we have right now is exciting, and knowing that we're going to be able to have these players together for you know a good period of time, and something you don't have the luxury of of building around the same core. Um, in professional sports, so I think we're in a unique situation here. No question. And I guess I wonder how much you are enjoying those trade conversations. How much fun is this aspect of the job, and what is the most enjoyable part of the job so far for you? Uh, I think, the, well, a few things. Um, the opportunity to build something is really exciting, not just to me, but to our staff. Uh, and so you were in a unique situation here to to lay a framework to build for for the future. Uh, and I think the people around you really um, will dictate how much you enjoy what you do. And so great people had, you know, we're fortunate to hire Coach Johnson to lead us this year and our staff, our players, our culture here in San Antonio is is something that I think everyone enjoys coming to work every day. And then in terms of success for this 2017 team, how do you define it? Is it the playoffs? Is it a significant jump in wins over where you were the last couple of years? Is there a definition in your mind and is there a definition that you guys have flat out stated for yourselves at this point? Well, I think playoffs are always a goal. Uh, obviously, the end goal is to win a championship, but you know, for us to to get into the playoffs and have the ability to make a run at that, mm-hmm. I think is something that 
you were definitely looking at, I mean, yes, I was a part of a, a unique situation in Detroit where we went from worst to first. So you can't say that it, it doesn't happen, right. but that's not a likely scenario that we see all the time. But I do think that we have the potential to, um, to improve in a greater way than most teams just by being healthy and adding the pieces that we're able to add. Yeah, it certainly looks that way to me as well. Uh, before I let you go, obviously, you know, you want to wait on revealing uh, your number one selection, but l- let's do it this way. Um, if the selection is going to be Kelsey Plum, why don't you blink once? We're an audio-only podcast, so I think this is a fair way to handle it. Um, and if you're going to uh, select Taylor Davis, blink twice, and blink three times if you plan to trade the pick. Is that something that you're you're willing to do? <laughs> Got it. Okay, I, I'm ready when you are. You tell me once you have. <laughs> well, if you're in the room, you would see. Understood. Okay, so it's been done. Then uh, we we can reveal that the blinking has taken place. So uh, very excited about that. And uh, Ruth Riley, very excited to see uh, what you end up doing uh, verbally and visually coming up on uh, April the 13th with this very exciting young team. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and wishing you all the best of luck. Thanks so much. Thank you. And just a reminder to our listeners that you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. You can like us on Facebook or go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, Also a reminder, our brand new site, The Summit, uh, launched April 1st, and you're going to get full coverage of women's basketball uh, across the board right over there as well. Uh, I'm Howard Megdahl wishing you a wonderful day.